0: By doing these things. You've heard them. You know what to do. Now go do these things. And, and Jesus sets this up well uh, with what he says beginning in chapter 5 in verse 1. We're going to go there in a little bit. The Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount. You guys are all familiar with that, right? The Lord's Prayer. This is really what the Sermon on the Mount centralizes on. It's going to centralize on the Sermon on the Mount, on the fact that the focus is on the kingdom of God. right? This series that we just went through, everything that the focus was on how to neighbor well, how to make disciples, how to evangelize, it was always on the kingdom of God, being kingdom-minded. You guys have heard that a lot, as Matt has preached that, being kingdom-minded. And again, Jesus starts this off, as we're going to see, by being kingdom-minded, and he centralizes it around the sermon on the—I mean, the uh, Lord's Prayer, which is again kingdom-focused, being focused on the kingdom of God. So let's read Matthew five, just verse one, and then we'll pray. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again that we can gather here to worship you, God to hear your word spoken to us through Matthew 5, verses 1 through 4. Lord, I pray that you would change hearts, you would change my heart, continue to make us more like you. God, that we would love you more, that we would be passionate about you, that we would be passionate about loving this community, about making disciples, about loving our neighbor. God, you would send us out and you would use First Baptist Lovington as a tool to reach this community. God, you have placed us here for a reason. Pray that we would love well, God, and we would leave this place loving you more than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, Matthew 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. First thing we see here is we see Jesus going up on this mountain to begin the sermon, to command his disciples and the crowds of what to do, right, to preach this to them. We see a similar thing happen at the end of the book of Matthew, right, when Jesus is standing up on a mountain, telling them of the Great Commission, Commission telling them to go, right? there's, There's some significance in that. Jesus goes up upon this mountain, and as later on, we don't know if it's the same mountain or not, but Jesus brings his disciples back up upon a mountain, and he's telling them, now go and teach all that I have commanded you. Right? Probably recalling what he had told them on a mountain a couple years before that on the, as the Sermon on the Mount. Right? So Jesus, again, proclaims this on a mountain. So there's some significance to that. That's not really part of the sermon. That's free. You don't have to pay for that one today. So, anyways. Look at the focus. The focus that Jesus is going to hes going to bring everyone's mind to focusing on the kingdom of heaven. Again, what the, uh, the centralization of the Sermon on the Mount is, the Lord's Prayer. Being kingdom-minded. Are we focused on God's kingdom? Jesus focuses on that. The next thing we see here is when we see Jesus saw the crowds, he went and spoke to them. Jesus' compassion, there's something significant about that, Jesus' compassion for the crowds allowed him to, to love them and teach them well. Christian, we should take from this example to love well. Love our neighbor well, right? Jesus's neighbor was who he came into contact with. This crowd was around with him, and he loved them, and he taught them well. He took the time out of that. Though we do see times when Jesus secludes himself and goes off to pray, right? For the most part... When the crowds were around, he had pity and compassion and loved them well. He didn't necessarily stick to an agenda or a calendar of this is what I have to do, this is what I have to do. In order for us to disciple well and to neighbor well, we need to not be so stuck to a calendar or to a program, but focus on loving those who we come into contact with. Whether that's your next door neighbor, the neighbor across the street, anyone in here, anyone in Lovington, wherever you go, whoever you encounter. Your neighbor, yes, is some far off person living in another country. But it's also the person directly next to you. Those are the ones you have been called to, to love well. We can take that from the example of Christ here. He saw the crowds. He had pity on them. He taught them well. Let's go on. Verse 2. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying... Well, we would say, obviously, if Jesus began to teach, he would have to open his mouth, right? So that sounds kind of dumb. Why would Matthew put it there? But we have to remember, Matthew is a very Jewish book, right? He was writing this with a lot of Jewish idioms and Jewish uh, cultural things and Jewish expressions in this book. This was actually an expression that what Jesus was about to say by opening his mouth... He was about to say something very weighty and important. So he would have sat down upon this hill and looked out upon this crowd and maybe had a moment of silence where these people were focused on him. It was this time when they knew that what Jesus was about to say was important and they were focused on what he was about to say, something weighty and important. So that's a, a Jewish idiom that the Jewish readers reading this would have known what Jesus is about to say is extremely important and we should listen. <clears throat> the next thing we have to remember is what Jesus is about to say is completely different from what the listeners thought he was going to say, right? Remember, many of his disciples and many of his followers still thought that he was going to be this conquering king that would come in with an army and slaughter the Romans, right? And free Israel. They thought that he was going to be that focused on the kingdom here on earth. But what Jesus shows us in the Sermon on the Mount is something completely different. So as they're listening to these words, and as Jesus starts off with the words that he's going to start off with, this is something completely different than what they thought it would be. They were focused so much on the earth, on the here, on the now. And Jesus is focused so on the kingdom of heaven. Our focus can too often be on the here and the now, right? If my focus is here on the here and the now, then everything that Matt just preached on on how to neighbor well, and how to disciple well, I wouldn't waste my time doing that, right? If my focus is so here and now. We think that Jesus is somehow going to give us these great blessings, and as we're going to see here for these great things we do here on this earth, that's not necessarily true, Right? Because Christ in this sermon is kingdom focused. Christian, are we kingdom focused? Or are we here and now earthly focused? So let's go on to verse three. Matthew five, verse three. This is familiar text. <clears throat> if you guys have grown up in church, the Beatitudes. We're just going to go over the first two today. Verse three Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First thing we look at here is blessed, Alright? And I know you, Rich, are saying, "Well, Zach, you just say said that we're not going to necessarily have these earthly blessings that we think we are, right? Like the this these prosperity gospel or this word of faith gospel that people tell us we're going to have, right?" Blessed. The Greek word there is actually makarios, and what it actually is is more of a state of mind, blessed or happy, right? In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, you want to have fulfillment in life. This is how you do these things. This is how you start out as a believer, right? Christ doesn't promise us riches and and that everything will go easy with us here on this earth if we follow him, right? But again, Christ isn't earthly focused like we too often are. We too often are focused so much on the here and the now, but Jesus is focused on eternity. This moment that we're here on earth is just a slight moment. <clears throat> in light of eternity blessed or happy or joyful or in a in a blessed state are those who dot 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 so jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven how are we poor in spirit so again remember in the context of this these these listeners are ready okay jesus is going to make this battle plan jesus is going to do all these things to conquer the Romans and the first thing he starts off with there is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words you want to know how to follow me how to take up your cross daily and follow me be poor in spirit don't think much of yourself that's completely opposite of what our culture tells us of what our world tells us Recognize our own sin. We want to know how to come to Christ, and, and, uh, Brian and I were actually talking about this this morning. These Beatitudes are really a progression of the life of a Christian, right? And it starts off with us recognizing our sin. If I don't realize that I am poor in spirit and I am completely helpless to, to pay for my sins, then I don't, then I will think I don't need Christ. But it's when I realize that I cannot do this on my own, that My All my problems and all my sin is my own fault. And I can't win the battle and struggle with my flesh that I'm called to battle with on my own. And I cannot pay for my own sin. Then I know I need Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hold your finger there and go to Luke chapter 18. A familiar parable that Jesus told. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. Again, the opposite of being poor in spirit, the opposite of realizing that you are in need of a Savior, is trusting in yourself and believing in yourself and following your own dreams and everything else this world and this culture tells us. That they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, so one this, this great Jewish religious leader that people looked up to, and one a tax collector. Right? This, this man who would have been a Jew, but who was working for the Romans, who was seen as a traitor, who most often was a, was a cheat, who would raise taxes intentionally to line his own pockets. So these two people go into the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, right? I thank you that I'm not like these people. Is that an attitude of being poor in spirit? This man, no, this Pharisee was rich in spirit. He was very confident in his own self, in his own self-righteousness, right, in his own ability to do good. He was very confident in that. He says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Look at verse 13, though. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's real easy to see. That's real easy for us as Christians to say, oh yeah, that, that guy, of course he went home justified. But we often do the same thing. We're talking with other believers. Right? How, how open are we with our struggles, our temptations, our sin? More often than not, we want to make ourselves look good. Oh, well, look at what I did. Right? We post it on Facebook. We are very uh, social media-driven culture, right? Oh, hey, look what I did. I'm serving the poor, right? I'm going to help the people on Hurricane Harvey. I'm going to take a selfie, right? We like to build ourselves up in our own righteousness, in our own self-righteousness. I'm the same way. We all struggle with that. Look what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at how different my life was when I first became a Christian to now. That was me. Right? And all along the way, when I really look back and I say, you know what? It was completely Christ that changed my heart. There's nothing good in me save Christ. Are we poor in spirit? Do we recognize our own sin? I look at the thief on the cross. All right, as, one, as two thieves were crucified with Jesus. And one was hurling insults at him was was saying all these horrible things was mocking Jesus and the other came in poverty of spirit saying i've i've deserved what i'm dying for right we deserve what we are dying for but this man is innocent and as jesus looked at him and he said remember me when you come into your kingdom jesus says you today you will be with me in paradise that is how we approach the cross. That's how we approach Jesus. Jesus, there's nothing good in me. Forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus welcomes us with open arms. It's the first step. Being poor in spirit, do we recognize our sin? But being poor in spirit doesn't just mean recognizing our own sin. It also means realizing how great Jesus is. Being poor in spirit takes a step back and says, I need a Savior. I need someone to pay for my sin. But Jesus is that one I need. So there's nothing that I can do to pay for my sin. There's nothing I can do to change my own heart. But Jesus can. Jesus has. And Jesus does. And the focus is completely on Christ. Recognize your need for complete dependence on Christ. That's part of being poor in spirit is recognizing we need someone we are dependent we have to be dependent on someone that someone is christ i look at uh moses in the burning bush as moses is standing there and god's talking to him and god's saying go to my people go free my people moses says makes all these excuses moses says i i can't do this lord what does god say Our culture would tell us, oh, yes, you can do it. You try harder, right? You're worth it. You do all this. God doesn't focus on that. God says, I am the Lord, your God. I am. I will go with you. And God says, though, God God definitely does recognize that Moses can't do it on his own, right? Moses realizes that. Moses is right in saying that. But God says, but I am the Lord your God. I will go with you. But I can. That's being poor in spirit. is not trying to build ourselves up and saying, I don't think I can do it, but I think I can do better. Right? I think I'm worth it. I think, no, it's realizing that I'm not. But Jesus is. And Jesus commands my destiny like we just sang. Jesus rules over everything. Jesus can. Even when Moses begins to question, Lord, I'm not eloquent in speech. I can't speak well. God says, Moses, who made your mouth? Who made the blind, who makes the blind blind and the deaf deaf and the mute mute? I do. Who controls all of that? And God in that story again reminds us of his sovereignty. God reminds us of his power. That's the one we trust in, the one who created our mouth. We think we can't control our mouth. On your own, you can't. Jesus created the mouth. We think we can't control our lust and our fleshly desires. Jesus created us. Jesus created our hearts. He can. Jesus commands my destiny. Isaiah 41.10. Again, you don't have to go there, but just something that another place where God reminds us he doesn't tell Israel here how great Israel is, and Israel, you can do it, and you can try harder, and you just got to believe in yourself. Isaiah forty-one ten. Jesus said, or God says, "Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you. Surely I will I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." Not one verse. God says, "I" five times. This turns off a lot of people to Christianity. There's a lot of famous celebrities that have left Christianity because they see God as this self-centered, self-focused tyrant. But what God knows is that the best thing for us is himself. God knows that we were created for him. And the best thing for us is not for us to be glorified. The best thing for us is for him to be glorified and for us to completely trust in him, That's why God says, I will hold you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Completely focused on Him, on His glory. Do we do that, Christian? Is our everyday life built around that power? How differently would our lives look if at all times we said, God, you are in control of it all? I don't have to stress. I don't have to worry. My life would be completely different. That's something I have to pray about. Lord, let me focus completely on you, knowing you will uphold me with your righteous right hand. That's being poor in spirit. What this also does, being poor in spirit, is it helps us focus on helping others. It helps us, it gives us this humble attitude, this attitude of humility. If we want to neighbor well, You can't neighbor well and say, oh, well, I think I'm so much better than my neighbor. I think I'm so much better than this person. How do we neighbor well? When we realize there's nothing good in me. I struggle with sin. I need Jesus daily. So therefore, I can go and love my neighbor who's difficult to deal with. I can go love that family member who is hard to forgive. I can go live that person who is living a completely ungodly life because without Christ, that's me. I can love well because there's nothing good in me. Being poor in spirit gives us the humility to love others well and to neighbor well. When we realize our complete dependence is on Christ, we can go and love well. And again, be kingdom-minded. Matthew 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when we realize... And we are poor in spirit. There's nothing good in us. And we are focused on Christ. And we are following Christ. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. We can focus on that. I can go through this life, makarios, happy, blessed, right, with this joyful attitude knowing that uh, no matter what happens to me on this earth, if I face famine or, or severe poverty or persecution or family members die, right, or my wife dies or or my son dies or if I pass away, right, I can... Focus and go out completely happy because I'm focused on Jesus. Completely satisfied and joy-filled in Him. I'm poor in spirit. There's nothing good in me. He controls everything. I'm kingdom-minded. This time on earth, again, like I said, is just a minor, minor time in view of eternity. What are we focused on? Are we focused on this little, itty-bitty piece of time? Or are we focused on on eternity. We focused on the glory of God and the mission of God, the mission that we have been sent on to make disciples, to love well. When we focused on that mission. Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's interesting that this follows right after blessed are the poor in spirit. And there are diff- different ways to mourn Uh, Obviously, this isn't talking about all mourning, right? If a drug addict is sad because his drug supply has run out and he's mourning because of that, I don't necessarily think he's going to be comforted because of that. This is talking about something different. There are different types of mourning. One is mourning over wickedness, our own sin, right? We just talked about being poor in spirit. Do we mourn over our own sin? Right? That, that tax collector who was in the temple praying was mourning, was sad, was sorrow filled over his sin. Lord, forgive me, be merciful to me, a sinner. Our sin should disgust us, especially the more we grow in Christ. We still struggle with sin, but does it disgust us? Does it disgust us when we have that bad thought? Does it disgust us when we say that word we shouldn't have said? Does it disgust us when we treat someone like they should not be treated? Does it disgust us when we struggle with bitterness and hatred and these things that Christ has called us not to do? Does it disgust us? Do we mourn over it? It says, for they shall be comforted. Jesus will comfort us in that mourning. That mourning is good. Mourning over sin, mourning over wickedness, mourning over evil is a good thing if it's the kind of sorrow that leads to repentance. Sorrow that leads to repentance is always good. Guilt that leads to repentance is always good. Another kind of mourning is mourning over the sin of this world. Um, I watched a movie the other night that... Kind of disturbed me psychologically. And uh, part of that was, it was real. What happens in that movie happens in this world all the time. And it's real. And there was this mourning that was going on in my heart of, "This this is sad, that this happens. Lord, come quickly. Lord, change us. That we do these things. Do we mourn over the wickedness of this world? Do we mourn when wars happen and we hear of these these horrific, terrible things happening in this world? Does it cause us to mourn? Does it cause us to weep over this wickedness? The kind of mourning that causes us to go out and proclaim the gospel. Do we care passionately about our neighbors? About what happens to them? Do we mourn over this wickedness? One of the comforts we bring is obviously a very familiar verse in Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Right? There's that hope that we have, that we look forward to, there will no, be no more mourning or crying or pain. But first, we do go through this wickedness in this life. There is evil in this world. Do we mourn over it? We will be comforted if we are kingdom-minded. Again, we are blessed. Look what it says. We are blessed when we mourn. It's kind of opposite of what we think of when we mourn, when we are sad. We don't think we're blessed. How can we live in joy? How can we be happy through that? By focusing on Jesus. Again, knowing that He will make everything right. That as J.R.R. Tolkien says in The Lord of the Rings, that He is undoing every bad thing. all bad things are coming undone. That's what God is doing. Right? We don't necessarily see it. Our world around us seems like it's falling apart. But one day, Jesus will make all things right. And will come back for us. And again, being kingdom-minded, we get to spend eternity worshiping Him in fellowship with one another at His feet, proclaiming the goodness of God. So again, for a a season here, we mourn. Do we mourn over the sin of ourselves? Do we mourn over the wickedness of this world? Let's go on. Another way we mourn is by entering into the sadness and the mourning of others. Right? Mourning isn't just a self-centered, self-focused thing. If we are to neighbor well and if we are to love well, Like being poor in spirit, we can have pity and we can love others who struggle with the same things we struggle with, which is sin. Like that, we can also mourn with them. Do we enter into the mourning of others? One of the best stories that Jesus tells about that is the Good Samaritan. Right? We just talked about it last week. Where... This leader, this Pharisee, this priest who was supposed to be this Jewish religious leader was walking by and didn't have pity. Didn't enter into the sadness of this man who was half dead on the side of the road. And then this Levite, this junior priest, this worship leader, whatever you want to call him, right, passes by and does not have pity, does not enter into the mourning of this person. And yet this good Samaritan, this person who was hated by the Jews... Entered in, chose to enter into the mourning and the sadness and the hardship of this man who was beat up on the side of the road and loved him well. As Christ entered into our mourning, right? That good Samaritan went on and and took care of all his needs and put him on his donkey and took him to the inn and paid for it all and basically started a tab and said, whatever is on that tab, I'll come back and pay it off. Right? That's self sacrifice what he did that is entering into the sadness and the hardship and the mourning of others christian do we do that it's real easy to be there for someone when they're going through a joyful time it's real easy to be there for your neighbors when they're celebrating a birthday party or when they're having a barbecue or when they invite you over to watch the game (coughs) it's easy to do those things is it easy when their little girl gets cancer Is it easy when their husband or wife passes away? Is it easy when they lose a job or when they go through a hard time? Do we enter into their mourning, into their sadness with them? Scripture tells us, mourn with those who mourn. Are we willing to do that? That's part of being a good neighbor. That's part of following Jesus. Jesus entered into our mourning, into our sadness, and took all of the wrath that we deserved upon himself. Jesus entered in to our sadness. He chose to. Do we neighbor well by entering into the sadness of others? Are we willing to sacrifice of ourselves and to be so kingdom-minded, right? Again, if we were so earthly-minded and focused on the things of here and now, we wouldn't necessarily enter into the sadness of others, right? If I'm so focused on myself and I'm so focused on my joy, and peace here on earth, then I'm not going to go and decide to be sad with someone else. I'm not going to go and mourn with someone else. But when I am kingdom-minded, when I'm focused on God's kingdom, on the greater good, right, which is Jesus himself, that I'm not going to be focused on myself. I'm not going to be focused on doing things that only I want to do. I will choose to enter into the sadness and the hardships and the mourning that other people go through. Other people struggle with things just like you and I, Christian. That's part of following Jesus: being poor in spirit and mourning over these tough things. Being focused on God's kingdom begins with an attitude of self-denial and a focus on Jesus. Hey, let me read that again: being focused on God's kingdom begins with an attitude of self-denial and a focus on Jesus. Right? So Jesus completely flips this around of what our world tells us. Our world tells us, believe in yourself. Right? I watch cartoons with my, with my son sometime, and you see it on the Disney Channel all the time. Right? Believe in yourself. Uh, follow your heart. Follow your dreams. You can do it. Right? Our culture soaks us with that from the time we're born on up. Right? Get the career you want to get. Follow what uh, the dreams you want to do. Do with your money what you want to do with it. We're such a self-centered world. I'm such a self-centered person. We are. We struggle with that. And yet Jesus calls us to something different. Deny yourself. I know this isn't in the Sermon on the Mount but it's still something he commands us to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Do we want to follow him by being poor in spirit? That's that's denying ourselves. That's realizing that we have nothing to give. We have nothing to bring. There's nothing that we can trade for God's grace. There's nothing that we can bring him that he needs. He doesn't need us. But He gives us mercy and grace freely. He takes our place. And we realize we are poor in spirit and we need Him. And do we mourn? Do we mourn over the wickedness of this world? And take comfort in Jesus? That's that's the good news. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We will be comforted by Christ. Whatever we mourn over, wickedness, our own sin, the the helplessness of others whatever we mourn and take sadness over we will as christians be comforted that's good news for us are we focused on christ christians again this everything in the bible has a focus on christ that's what we're going to be focusing on in this series we're following jesus this is a lifelong journey no matter what step You're in. If you are a Christian, you are following Jesus. You're called to do these things. We can't do them on our own. Again, it takes a focus completely on Christ. Jesus, change me, lead me, guide me, melt me, mold me to how you want me to be. I love the way David Brainerd says it. We are a long time in learning that all our strength and salvation is in God. Simple statement. We are a long time learning that all of our strength and all of our salvation is God. Too often, we struggle with this because we are self-centered beings. We struggle with, my salvation is in me. Look how I've changed myself. Look what I've done. But yet, the focus is is completely on God. This is coming from a, a man who died at 29, who went through horrible, horrible diseases and still proclaimed the gospel each and every day we a long time in learning that all of our strength and all of our salvation is in God. There is nothing good in life we can do or that is worth doing without Christ. There's nothing in life that we can bring that is good without Jesus. Are we focused on Him, Christian, in our being poor in spirit and in our mourning There's a second part to that. It's not just being poor in spirit and mourning and leaving it there. What Christ is calling us to is Himself. He's saying, "Being poor in spirit, but come to me. Are you mourning? But come to me. You will be makarios, blessed, happy, joy-filled, satisfied. Are we satisfied in Jesus? I love the words to this verse we're going to sing, or to the song that we're going to sing here in a little bit. One of the verses says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. This is coming from Horatio Spafford who lost his four daughters. And as he's going on his ship over the place where his daughters went down, he repends the words that it is well with my soul. No matter what he went through, no matter how he mourned, he knew that Jesus loved him. He knew that Jesus had regarded his helpless estate and shed his blood for his soul. Do we cling to Jesus? Is Jesus our highest joy? Is Jesus our highest honor through being poor in spirit, through being uh, going through mourning? Our highest goal is not using Jesus as some means to an end. Our highest goal is not the happiness itself. The highest goal is Jesus Himself. And that's where we are blessed. That's where we are Makarios. Do we follow Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you again that we can gather here, Lord, to worship you, to praise your holy name. Jesus, as we go out of this place, go on with our lives and uh, oftentimes very routine lives, and I pray that we wouldn't be so caught up and so focused on the here and now. But Jesus, our focus would be completely on you. And you would help us to be poor in spirit and to mourn over the things that need to be mourned for, over the wickedness of this world and our own sin. Gotta know that we shall be comforted, that the kingdom of heaven is ours because of you, Jesus. And our focus would be completely on you, and we would want to follow you well. Gotta pray that you would teach us to neighbor well, to love well through this. That we would enter into the the mourning of others. We would have.